You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. So excited you're all here this morning. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can open up to Isaiah chapter 52. So we're going to be this morning as we start a series entitled Full Gospel. Before I dive into God's Word, though, I do have to recognize some dear, dear friends of my family. Uh, Ron and Connie Sunquist are right here in the, the, the aisle here. Can you guys just raise your hands? Yeah. Ron and Connie are dear friends of, of my family. They've um, the Lord's used them in my life in tremendous ways. They became like second parents uh, to me and my siblings uh, after my mom passed away. They just really adopted us into their home. And, and, um, and many of the, my vision of, of community and the church have come from my experiences in their home because uh, it was really, it wasn't Sunday mornings that I rubbed shoulders with them. It was Monday through Saturday, and it was, it was their kitchen table that they invited me to to family devotions with them, and it was, it was in their living room that they'd pray for me and, and encourage me in the things of God. And so I so believe in the church being the church, Monday through Sunday, and a lot of that was modeled um, by Ron and Connie. So so glad you guys are here this morning. It's such an honor that you guys would be with us. Uh, if you have an opportunity, uh, just give them a hug and, and thank them. Um, they're the real deal. Full gospel. That's what we're going to talk about the next eight weeks. Um, a message that's been on my heart now for a number of months. It was nine months ago, I sat down with our elders, and I came to them uh, with this passage of scripture we're going to read in Isaiah chapter 53, which is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows, he carried our transgressions, our iniquities, and by his stripes we are healed. That's the description of this coming Messiah that Isaiah saw four or five hundred years before he stepped foot on the planet. It was this picture of this plan of redemption that God was going to bring to earth through Jesus. But there was this growing discontentment in my heart that this message that we see portrayed by the prophet Isaiah wasn't lining up with the, the message that we, we proclaim as the modern church in the 21st century. Because we are very quick to talk about the teachings of Jesus and Jesus' willingness and radical love to pay for our sins. But when we read the, the prophet Isaiah and we see what he saw of, of, the, of this coming Messiah, we see a Savior that also paid for our healing. That by his stripes, by his wounds, we are healed. And when Jesus stepped foot on the planet, he captured the attention of everybody. And his fame exploded because of the authority that he had to heal and so there's, there's a huge part of the gospel that's been missing from the modern church, which is this good news of Jesus to redeem our bodies, to heal a broken and dying world. And that's a message our city needs to hear. We can sit and we can have services week after week and pat ourselves on the back and sing the songs when there are people literally outside the doors of our church that are in pain, that are depressed, that are anxious, that are dying of cancer. And we have a message of hope for that hurting and dying and desperate world. And something needs to well up in our hearts that pushes us beyond the status quo. As I think through my own story and why it is that I have this strong conviction to, to be a church that contends for the full gospel. There's a number of significant moments, but 
I can't help but think about 15 years ago when me and my wife, we sat in the front row at the time we were just dating, but we're sitting in the front row of a church service. And it was there we witnessed a woman who was wheeled in in a wheelchair with MS. And she walked out, out of her wheelchair, standing up, limber and as, as, as uh, healthy as she had ever been. That, 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 changes, that changes a person to see that with their own eyes. But more than that, something welled up in me that thought, that's actually, that's closer to the message that I read about in the gospel than, than most, most of the time what I experience in church. Where we, we talk about a message of the gospel that's only relevant to your eternal destiny. But when we crack open the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we begin reading in the book of Acts of the early church, we see a good news that's proclaimed, that proclaims healing to the sick, hope to the poor and to the oppressed and the depressed, those that are, those that are tormented by, by demonic spirits. The church owned this message of true power and hope. And I believe we have a mandate, a responsibility to embrace the full gospel. And so over the next eight weeks, we're going to be growing and increasing our faith in our embrace of the full gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to go there together. That's what Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And so I thought of this illustration as kind of what's at stake. I grew up with a, um, an uncle that was a conductor for, for Amtrak Railroad. And so... Um, him being a conductor, my aunt several times took me along for rides on the Amtrak Railroad, and it's, it's a pretty cool experience. You're not going anywhere too fast, but, but it's a cool experience, a, a beautiful scenery. And uh, I remember um, sitting in the dining car with my aunt and, and eating the meals and, and watching the beautiful scenery from Minneapolis to Milwaukee or, or other routes. But as I, I got older, me and my wife were newlyweds, at this time, we were out in the Pacific Northwest, and we had the idea, hey, let's take the train from Seattle back to our, our home state of North Dakota. It's a 36-hour ride. It's a, it's a long haul, but we said well, we're going to go for it, and it's gorgeous. You can imagine taking the, the Amtrak through two mountain ranges in the dead of winter. It's like Narnia. It's just gorgeous. <laughs> but one thing we didn't know is after we got settled in our little cabin, you ever, I mean, these cabins are just tiny, tiny. I mean, just bunks stacked on top of each other. We got settled in our little cabin with our one-year-old, and he wasn't even one. And uh, the attendant popped in. He's a perky guy. He's going to be with us for 36 hours. So he was, he was perky. He was ready to go. He popped his head in. He gave us instructions for the dining car. And from, this was news to me. I thought we, were, we just bought a ticket to get us from Seattle to Fargo, North Dakota, but here he said that the ticket that we had purchased actually also got us access to all the meals in the dining car included. So here was this unexpected blessing, this unexpected benefit that was purchased already for us. And that was a, that was a huge highlight sitting on this, this small dining car and you, you rub shoulders with literally people from all over the world and hear their stories and it just totally threw the experience over the top. But I thought, how sad would it have been if we would have sat in our cabin just kind of slowly starving over these 36 hours, it took way longer than 36 hours. That was, that was a complete joke to say it was going to be 36 hours. It was actually 48 hours because um, they stop every 30 minutes and you just got to slow down and enjoy the ride. 
But how often as believers or just as, as 24, 21st century humans do we think just about the destination? We just got a ticket. Jesus purchased us a ticket into heaven and that's it. When in actuality, when we look at the fullness of the good news that Jesus proclaimed and what he accomplished for us on the cross, it was so much more than that. He was always proclaiming truly good news to those that were captive, to those that were oppressed, to the poor, to those that were hurting, to those that were sick. His, good news, his, his message of good news was fully relevant to those needs in the here and the now. I mean, that would have been like us sitting in our cab and eating saltines and ketchup packets just trying to eke our way out to, to make it to the final destination. When, when in actuality, it had already been purchased for us. It was already there, fully available for us. And I want us to, I want to see us as 23 century believers step into the full benefits of the cross. So Psalm 103, verses two and three says, bless the Lord, O my soul. It's exactly what Paige had said during worship. He's talking to himself, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He who heals all of my diseases, he who forgives my iniquity. He's speaking to his own soul that he wouldn't miss out on the full benefits of what his Savior was promising him and giving him. I pray that we wouldn't be sitting in our cabin starving to death, starving to death but instead we would embrace the full benefits of the cross. So even during worship, I just felt overwhelmed by the, the weight of this message because it's such good news. And I don't want anybody to miss out on it. But I wanna, I wanna confess that I don't, I don't feel any obligation to convince you of anything. That's Jesus' job. I felt this growing um, sense in my heart that my real role was not to convince anybody of anything, but instead to just be faithful to the message. And we have that responsibility to our city. We have resident in us this message of good news that means something for people that are dying of cancer, that are sitting in agony and pain and arthritic and their, their, their health is failing with MS. Those that are struggling with anxiety and depression, when we think about our city, which is pretty comfortable, a lot of those needs are some of the biggest needs. And we actually have a message of hope for those that are hurting. So we have a responsibility to be faithful. I want us to have an accurate understanding of the good news of Jesus. It's relevant to the poor, it's relevant to the hungry, it's relevant to the hurting, the broken. Because really what happens if we, if we miss the full gospel, if we reduce it down to something else, it really gets reduced down to a religion of rules and programs which is what has left pretty much everybody. If, if people would be honest, it leaves us all discontent. When Christianity gets reduced down to a matter of rules and programs, we all kind of leave, leave like, I don't know if that was worth my time. Rather than what Jesus proclaimed, he couldn't keep the crowds away. And if the church began to actually step into what, what Jesus gave, purchased for us, we wouldn't be able to keep the crowds out. They would be, it would be chock full, it would be overflow. Because we were actually proclaiming a message of power and hope for a hurting and dying world. So let's get to Isaiah chapter 53. We'll actually start a few verses before Isaiah 53, the end of Isaiah 52. And I'll give you some context here. Scholars 
recognize Isaiah 53 as the fifth God. A complete picture of this, or a complete account of the Messiah, the good news of Jesus Christ. Gospel literally meaning good news. And they've put Isaiah 53 right up there next to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because here in Isaiah 53, we see such a beautiful account and such a complete account of this coming Messiah, of this Savior to come. So when we get to Isaiah 52, the end of, the end of Isaiah 52, this is actually the, the fourth prophecy in a row in a succession of prophecies about this coming Messiah. They're, they're known as the servant songs. So we're going to start reading in verse 13. I don't always do this, but I just feel compelled to pray because this is such a significant passage and and we really need God's um, spirit to move in our hearts to convince us of the truth of of his good news today because um, I, I get it. All the questions that well up in our hearts when it comes to divine healing and God's promises of healing because we see such a huge disconnect. In our, in our modern day. Why doesn't God always heal? Hey, I prayed one time God didn't heal me or didn't heal my friend. Why doesn't God always heal? Why don't we see as many miracles today as, as they did as we read about in Scripture? These are, these are all the common questions that, that come flooding through our minds. Trust me, I'm there. And so I don't speak from a place of triteness or, or um, superficialities. As, as I've shared many times, I mean, my, my own family was devastated by depression and suicide. So I, I speak a message of good news saying, this is what I, I feel responsible to, um, to be faithful to. It's this message of good news that we read, read about in Scripture. So let's just pray, because we need God's grace. Lord, you're so good. You're so good to us. And thank you for stepping out of your kingdom in heaven and coming to earth taking on flesh to give us a complete paradigm shift. All we have known is fallenness, rebellion, brokenness, hurting, and pain. From the moment we, we come into this plant, onto this planet, Lord, that's all we know. And so then when a Savior comes and proclaims good news of hope and healing and forgiveness, there's, there's a... a an unbelief that wells up in us. There's a lack of faith that oftentimes we walk around with. And so God, right now, I pray that Isaiah 53, that this message of good news would come alive to us today in 2019. Those that are hurting, that are broken, that need healing this morning, they'd experience it. I've been praying that all week that there'd be sovereign healings this morning. For those that just have unbelief and they need to embrace the full gospel, I pray that that would be accomplished this morning, Jesus. That we would be able to represent you well in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, to our kids, truly walking in the good news of Jesus Christ. Speak to us, Lord, in your name, amen. So let's read this. Isaiah 52, starting in verse 13, says, Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up. And shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations, or, or cleanse many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. 
For that which he has not been told them, they see. And that which they have not heard, they understand. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs, he has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out, cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief or he has put him subject to sickness. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. That is the full gospel of Jesus. That's the picture that Isaiah saw four or five hundred years before Jesus stepped on the planet. If there's ever someone you encounter that doesn't know Jesus and they have a hard time believing in the authority of Scripture, just point them to Isaiah 53. Don't give them any context. Just say, hey, read this. Who do you think this is describing? No one can deny the validity, the authority that this passage carries and its vivid description of the Savior. It's clearly Jesus. And this was, this is, this is the, the, these are the passages, Isaiah 49 through Isaiah 57, that, that, that uh, the, Jew, the Jewish leaders, they, they carried in their hearts in anticipation of this coming Messiah. The prophet Isaiah is quoted more than uh, twice as many, many times as any of the other major prophets. They all carried this as substantial prophetic um, descriptions of this Messiah to come. So I want us to start the same way Isaiah started in the servant song, talking about the, this full gospel and how it's a message about a living Savior. When Isaiah caught a glimpse of this Messiah to come, he said he sees one who's high and lifted up and who will be exalted. This one who even shuts the mouths of kings. It's Jesus as a resurrected king. It's the Messiah, not as a dead Messiah, but as a living Savior. And this is critical in our, our understanding as a church as we proclaim a, good, a message of good news to a world that's hurting and, and broken and dying, that we carry this message of a Savior who's alive. He's not dead. We're not speaking just about religious history. 
We're talking about a savior who is alive. And so Jesus proved his authority and his fame grew because of signs and wonders and miracles and, and healings. And even his teaching carried an authority that, that caught the attention of, of everyone. But ultimately, it was his resurrection that proved his authority. It was his resurrection, the fact that he conquered death, that he, he called it ahead of time. He said he's going to die, he's going he's to be put to death, but then he's going to rise from the dead. It was that ultimate authority that he proved through his resurrection. And that is the message that we carry, that we have access, through, or access to through the good news of Jesus Christ. So you can know Jesus as not, not just as a dead Savior that died for you, but also as a living Savior. And it was this reality that catalyzed the early church. Yes, they preached Jesus as the crucified Savior, but they always emphasized, and what always got them in trouble was the fact that they, they wouldn't let that go, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. There, there's, there's something more palatable about, about a historical sacrifice made, removed from the reality that now he's actually alive and well, that he actually conquered death. That was offensive we see in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, this is how Luke sets up the story of the early church. It's this message, the message of a living Savior. It, said, it says Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It was over this period of 40 days that Jesus appeared to the, the disciples that remained, to over 500 of them, speaking to them proving to them that he had conquered death and the grave. And you can see the shift that happens in these disciples that remained. You know, as Jesus gave his life on the cross, they were overcome with fear and doubt and unbelief. I mean, they were all trembling, locked in closed, behind closed doors, not knowing what to do. Right? They were kind of waiting, wondering, what, what do we do next? Until what? until Jesus began to appear to them. And over this period of 40 days, their faith began to be realized that, oh wow, Jesus is alive, that he truly is who he said he was. And that needs to shift in our hearts, that we don't just talk about a Jesus from history, although his, the historicity of him as a, as a man and the historicity of his resurrection, I mean, they cannot be argued with. Even critics do not have an argument for the reality of Jesus walking on this earth as a real person, not just in allegory or in fables, but as a real historical man. But he's more than that because he's alive and he's well today. He's living. He's a living savior. There was this fad in the 90s, WWJD, what would Jesus do? It was like, you're in a situation, you're supposed to look at your bracelet. Ah, oh, yes. What would Jesus do? Maybe you, maybe you were there, maybe you weren't. I grew up in the 90s. It was the thing. We need, to, we need to recapture that with what is Jesus doing because he's alive? Not some theoretical, hypothetical, historical Jesus, but the reality of the resurrected Jesus is here. He says it's better that he leaves. He sends his Holy Spirit to live in us. We live in a better day. What is Jesus doing? And if Jesus was walking the earth, he would heal the sick. He would proclaim good news to the poor. We wouldn't have these large divides between the church and a dying and broken world. 
We wouldn't all have this discontentment in our hearts that, wow, we are largely irrelevant to the hurting and broken world around us. That would, that would chafe at us. That would, that would burn us up. That would keep us up at night, as it does for me. If the resurrected Jesus, in reality, was walking in our midst, the resurrection shuts the mouth of, mouths of critics. That's what, the king, or that's what Isaiah says, is that kings shall shut their mouths because of him. They have no answer for this fact that he rose from the dead. I remember hearing this testimony about a man named Dr. J.P. Moreland. Brilliant man, honestly, one of the most brilliant scholars of our day. He's still alive today. But at the time of this testimony, he ran around in academic circles with scholars that were, most all of them were cessationists, meaning they, they believed that the, the miracles and supernatural signs and wonders that we read about in the Gospels and the book of Acts, they ceased after the death of the apostles. They're called cessationists. That's the, the banner they love. Unbelief, that's our thing. Um, there, are, there, are, there are academics that they, they claim this, this view of cessationism. So he pretty much ran around in those circles. And, and obviously a brilliant man. He had lots of speaking engagements. So one weekend, he came down with severe laryngitis to the point that he was going to have to cancel all of his lectures for the week. He had a lecture that afternoon. Monday, he had a lecture. Tuesday, he was lecturing at a, at a church. He knew he was going to have to cancel. But some leaders had faith in his church. They, they, they knew he had severe laryngitis. And they, they had faith to believe, hey, let's go pray for Dr. Moreland. And they did. And even though he didn't have an ounce of faith, thank God for others the faith of others, they prayed a simple prayer of healing upon Dr. Moreland, and he was healed in a moment. Going into that, he, actually, he was actually, no, I don't want prayer. I want to go and make my phone calls to cancel my speaking engagements. But in that moment, God healed Dr. Moreland, and God began to open his eyes to the full gospel that the good news is relevant today. God's then, since then, really used Dr. Moreland in, in amazing ways in the miraculous, he still carries a scholarly authority and intellectual authority and has the respect of both secular and Christian scholars, but God's also using him in the miraculous. He actually shared a testimony with great authority because you understand his scholarly work stands the test. He shared a testimony of a man whose ear had been amputated and they prayed for his ear and his blood started to appear and then an ear appeared. I mean, it's crazy. Crazy testimonies from, uh, from a man who, you know, really was pretty critical to any sort of supernatural sign or wonder. But that's what the resurrected Christ does, is it shuts the mouths of critics. The full gospel is a message about a living Savior. Secondly, as we continue through this prophecy, we get to Isaiah chapter 53, that the full gospel is a message where the Savior truly takes our place fully. We get to this passage, really the, the, the climax of this prophecy, and we get to this picture of the atonement. The, the atone, that phrase, atonement, is, is just a, a Christian phrase describing Jesus or the sacrifice taking our place for our sin. He's standing in our place. He's atoning for our sin. But I would actually propose that more often than not, the way we live out our faith, we live our lives as though we really just believe in a partial atonement, not a full atonement. 
Because when we get to Isaiah 53, we see that surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. That he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, that he brought us peace, and that by his wounds we are healed. It's the full gospel. Body, soul, and spirit of humanity. That's what Jesus came to redeem. And so Jesus really did take our place. Not just to to punch your ticket for heaven, but Jesus really did take your place for all of the repercussions of the curse. It's kind of frustrating because when you get to uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4, scholar after scholar after scholar will tell you when you get to verse 4 and it says, Surely he's borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Most accurately, that should be translated, Surely he has borne our sickness and he has carried our pain. Every other time those Hebrew words are used throughout the Old Testament, that word that's translated griefs, it's choli, and it's every other place in the Old Testament that's translated, it's translated as sickness or disease. And that second word that he carried our sorrows, it's the word macabre. And every other place in the Old Testament, it's translated pain. And then obviously, it's by his wounds that we are healed. That's part of the atonement. Jesus hung on a cross to pay the full price of this curse that was brought upon humanity by our willful disobedience. He bore your sickness and he bore your sins. The weight of both. And I think it's fascinating that Isaiah uses, when he, when he says, you bore, uh, that the Savior bore our griefs. You, you fast forward to verse 12. It says, yet he bore the sin of many. It's the same exact, literally the same exact Hebrew word that he bore both our griefs, our sicknesses, and he bore our sins at the same time upon his body on the cross. They're inseparable. They're both linked, they're connected, they, they both matter to him. A tremendous book on this topic is a book called Divine Healing by Andrew Murray. But Andrew Murray was not one who always believed that God could heal. Andrew Murray was a minister in the mid-1800s and Dutch Reformed, definitely very conservative tradition. But... After 30 years of ministry, Andrew Murray reached a point where he got deathly sick. Historians call it his silent years. He had to completely pull back from any sort of public ministry or writing. And he was just kind of like destitute and desperate. He heard of some miraculous things happening up in London, though. He was way down in South Africa. He heard God was moving in London. He traveled all the way to London because he was a desperate man. And it was there in London that he experienced healing. God instantly healed him. And it forever changed the direction of his ministry as he realized, wow, the gospel is really a gospel for today that means something for those that are hurting and desperate and that need healing. And that is included in the atonement of Jesus Christ. And this is what Andrew Murray says to then start his book on divine healing. He says, I have clearly seen that the church possesses in Jesus our divine healer, an inestimable treasure, which she does not yet know how to appreciate. That's us sitting on the Amtrak eating saltines and ketchup packets. The church doesn't yet know how to appreciate this good message. 
I have been convinced anew of that which the word of God teaches us and of what the Lord expects of us. We have a responsibility. We have a mandate as followers of Jesus to carry the fullness of this good news. Jesus is our healer because he paid for our salvation. It's when you look upon Jesus as your savior of your sin that you can be confident that the full repercussions, the full ripple effect of the curse was paid for by Jesus. The onset of the curse started with, with humanity's willful um, decision to be disobedient to God. Obviously, Genesis chapter three, you can read, read about it for yourself. There's this whole ripple effect of the curse. Now, please don't underst- misunderstand me. I'm not saying that if you're sick, it's directly tied to a sin. But yes, all sickness is only here because of sin. So I don't say that in a condemning way. But the only reason we have sickness in the world is because of sin. And so we, we talk about a message of a savior of the world who paid a price for both our, the healing of our bodies and the healing of our souls because he paid the price of this curse. Galatians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it's written, cursed is everyone who's hanged on a tree. So anytime you experience the results of the curse, you can know that you have resident in you a message of good news that has an answer for the curse. Because we talk about a savior that hung on a tree. He took our place as one who was cursed. As we then continue through Isaiah 53, we see that yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. The full gospel is a message that demonstrates God's will. If you want to know whether or not it's God's will to heal, just look at Jesus. It was the will of God displayed for humanity. It's the person of Jesus Christ. It's been said as of late that Jesus is perfect theology. If you want to know what the Father is like, look at Jesus. That's what Jesus said. He said, if you want to, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He came to do one thing. It was to carry out the will of the Father. And what did Jesus do? He proclaimed liberty to the captives, liberty to the oppressed, sight to the blind. That's what Jesus did. I think there's a really encouraging passage in Mark chapter 1. There's a leper that comes to Jesus, and he's, he's honest. I think there are many in this place who've prayed, prayed to Jesus like this. I know I have. It says, a leper came to Jesus, imploring him and kneeling. He said, if you will, you can make me clean. Jan, he touched him. Yeming, or rebuke him. He said, he's moved with pity. He stretched out his hand. He touched him, and he said, I will be clean. You can have no doubts about what, what God's will is regarding healing. He has made it thoroughly clear throughout, his script, throughout Scripture, and we're going to talk about this over the next eight weeks, about thoroughly his will being clear for us, that his will is to heal. So we don't have to pray these 
prefacing prayers of, God, if it be your will. Maybe this is just my lot to carry. This is my thorn in the flesh. That's not consistent with the, the testimony of Scripture. When we look at Scripture, we see that God brought good news. It truly is good news, and it is, it, it is his will to heal. F.F. F. Bosworth talks about this passage in Mark chapter 1. He says, Christ, I will, cancels his if. So we can say, if it be your will, but Christ cancels that, and he just says, I will. You can have no doubt about it. You're not an exception. It's his will to heal you. Jesus healed all. Some may have a rebuttal and say, well, wasn't, weren't the miracles of Jesus simply given just to prove his authority as Savior, as Messiah? That'd be a reasonable, a reasonable conclusion. That doesn't pass the snuff test either, though. As you read the story of the early church, never once did they think that. As Jesus sent them, sent them out in his name, and he said, do these very things that I'm doing. Go and heal the sick, cast out demons, proclaim good news. And that's what carried them. That's why the church exploded. And it wasn't an explosion of popularity. It was actually a divisive message, but they multiplied legitimate disciples because the gospel message had a message of power. So God, I believe, has been turning the ship because I think a lot of people get discouraged when they talk when we talk about miracles, signs, and wonders, and healing because we just don't see them all that often these days. They happen, but not as often. As, I mean, obviously, when you read the book of Acts, it's like just a highlight reel of all these amazing miracles that God is doing in their midst. Like what, what's happened? What's the disconnect? I believe God is turning the ship. Look at where we are in human history. So what happened was around the fourth century, Constantine had a conversion to Christianity. Up until that time, miracles, they were, they were common. The miraculous healing signs and wonders. Constantine has a conversion. All of a sudden, Christianity is flung into the forefront of, of popularity. And people people became Christian by the droves, but not because of legitimate conversion or uh, experience with the Savior. It was the thing to do. Oh, Constantine, he, yeah, he, he is, he's a Christian. I want to be a Christian too. It came with all sorts of extra benefits in this world. And I mean, you can almost see it precisely. It was from that time forward that, that the gospel message got all tainted with politics and religious power and got all nasty. Seriously. For almost a thousand years, till 500 years ago, when God began to turn the ship. Because some bold reformers, some courageous reformers decided to lay down their lives to get the word of God into the hands of common people. At the time, scripture was only reserved for a few elite clergy that read Latin, not the, not the language of the people. And some bold reformers laid down their lives to get the scripture in our hands. Now we, I mean, look at us now today. We have it, you know, 40 different versions literally in our pocket. As you continue to fast forward, we see some other bold reformers that, that were willing to get the gospel of Jesus Christ out of the walls of the church. They said, there are people coming out of this factory. They need Jesus. What are we doing having a church service here? Let's get over there and tell them about Jesus. 
I know where all the drunks hang out. They hang out at the bar. Let's go down to the bar and we're gonna share the love of Jesus in this bar. This is, you know, 1700s of the Great Awakenings. The college campus, they need Jesus. Let's get out of our comfortable church. Let's get down there and tell people about Jesus. That's what began to happen. He's turning the ship. And then we get to the, the early 1900s. And we begin to see God's spirit being poured out upon all flesh across racial divides, both men and women, socioeconomic divides, the leveling of the playing field. God's turning the ship. And now I believe God's doing something fresh in our day. We read about when Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost, he said, in these last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we're gonna talk about this over the next eight weeks, but I believe this move of God is gonna be different. I really do. If everyone would stand in this place, I believe this is gonna be different. I don't believe what God wants to do in this realm of the full gospel is gonna be a move of God centered around one person or just a couple people. I believe God is calling his church to truly be the church of Jesus Christ. And he is gonna raise up a church that truly is his hands and feet. Common everyday believers living life in their common context, their common spheres, with faith declaring good news to the hurting and the broken, the depressed, the anxious, the oppressed. Something welling up in their hearts to say, you know, I got really good news for you. I believe that's gonna be what characterizes this move of God. And I wanna give all of us this morning as a church an opportunity to respond to that. Another thing I've been very keen on um, contending for, for our church, is a breakthrough in sovereign healings. By sovereign healings, I mean simply when people walk near our church building or walk into this room, that they experience healing in their bodies. I believe then God gets the glory. It's not about a person or a method. You see, there were times where people just had to get close to Jesus and they'd encounter his power for healing. I'm believing that's gonna characterize this move of God in our day. I want us to respond to Jesus this morning. God wants to use you. In your own personality, you don't have to be somebody you're not, but he wants to use you. It's his will to use you. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.